Dick Bate, uh, maybe the top coaching educator of our time. He passed away in April of 2018 at the age of 71 from a brain tumor. Something special in his memory I'm going to introduce to you today. It's called the Dick Bate Football Anthology, a collection of the life's work of Dick Bate. And all proceeds from the anthology will go to the Giles Trust that targets brain tumor research. It's a glimpse into the mind of Dick Bate. 3,355 pages, including a lot of handwritten notes, uh, original documents. And I've gone through it, and, and it's an absolute treasure. So who compiled all this? Well, we've got a couple of them here. Steve Rudder uh, led a team of six senior coach educators, which included Jim Hicks. Steve, uh, the former education manager for the Football Association. He managed uh, many of the youth national teams in England and assisted with the senior women, uh, now consulting. Uh, and Jim, he's uh, the head of coaching for the Professional Football Association, an educator in the PFA for 17 years, 15 seasons at Millwalls, the manager of the women's team. And he's got a, a, a bit of an American background as a, a member of the Washington Stars of the American Soccer League in 1989. Well, seems like a whole lifetime ago, doesn't it? <laughs> Jim, Steve, welcome, guys. Um, uh, really a pleasure to have you on and, and, and talk about this uh, great person who impacted uh, all of our lives uh, in coaching uh, Dick Bate. So, Steve, the, the list of tributes, testimonials, you know, you, you, you give it at the beginning of the book. You know, you see like uh, Wayne Rooney, who he coached, uh, Dick Bate coached with the 16s, Burnley manager uh, Sean Dyche. England manager Gareth Southgate, Stuart Pierce, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, it took his pro license and his A uh, from Dick Bates. So, so Steve, uh, you know the list of of coaches, players. It's it's really impressive, uh, and you can tell his impact. Yeah, I mean, you look at the cross generational as well, aren't they? It's it's not one particular generation of coaches. Um, you know, you got some standout people there. The England national coach, you know, people like Wayne Rooney who Dick would have had as a very young international coming through in the, in the youth teams. And he was just that sort of person wherever he, wherever he met you, he left uh, an impression and whether it was an impression of him as a person or something about his football knowledge, you know, it didn't matter who you were, how big you were, Dick's knowledge and, and his ability to communicate with you and engage with you was exceptional. And, and that's why you've got these people offering the endorsements they're offering. Jim, uh, I read something from the boot room uh, uh, after um, Dick's passing and you were, you were quoted quite often in it. Uh, what was the impact that Dick had on you personally? As a coach educator, a massive, ma massive impact on me. I, I've probably known Dick for about 20 years now. So uh, since I've been at the PFA, I've, I've been in and around just like Steve, just been in and around predominantly a license courses and pro license courses at a, a variety of different venues. And, he was the sort of person I'd always want to go to, to I guess, to start with when I was a new and a, sort of newcomer to the scene. I was, I was trying to get some reassurance that I was actually talking sense and not nonsense. And he would be the sort of person I would go to for that. Um, but then I soon realised that, 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 that the level of information and detail I could get from him. I mean, I was, I was, I was talking towards the bottom end of the spectrum to start with, with my questioning. And then eventually I was going further up, up, the, up, the, up the spectrum to asking sort of more advanced questions and more getting more information from him. But he he had a massive influence on me personally because he, he started to talk to me to a level at a level of detail which I didn't even understood existed, and I think that's what most people's defining words about Dick were. It was about detail, uh, and, and that certainly helped me become a better educator, no doubt about it. Well, 
detail, certainly. I, you know, I, I wanted to ask each of you what, what stood out uh, to you as you sifted through all these notes. And, I, I, you know, detail is certainly one word, Steve, that uh, resonates. It, it's really it's really quite fascinating. Well, I mean, when you, like you say, 3,355 pages, and it probably represents, I don't know, maybe 5% of the actual work that we looked at in total. Um, because really? each of us, honestly, it was, it was, I went to his house, I went to, went and spent a day with Maggie going through his, his study. Um, and it was literally floor to ceiling, wall to wall, files, um, memory sticks, videos. And what you find in, you know, you might find the same session that every time he did the session, he drew out the session plan, he wrote the notes and you'd find little subtle variations and adaptions. He's, he's done the session. He wasn't quite happy with it. So he's changed the organization by a, two meters or, you know, he's added an extra player or an extra development to the session. And, and so it was just immense. I mean, the, the information, the level of detail was, was just staggering. And, and probably the best example, I remember we did a defending wall on the A-license course once. And there was uh, Stuart Pierce was in the wall and, and he came off and he said, after he said, I've never, ever known somebody take 45 minutes to build a defending wall for a free kick. <laughs> he said the information was just mind blowing. So and that just, you know, when you can impact Stuart, someone like Stuart Pierce to that degree, it just it just tells you the level of detail that he went to. Yeah. And I, I think uh, what I noticed, a couple of things I noticed. One is it, it seemed like he might. Uh, like what, what makes a good defender? And he would write each thought about what he thought made a good defender or scenarios. And then he would build his, how he would uh, instruct uh, an individual or a team, you know, based on, you know, that kind of uh, outline that he prepared for himself. I don't know. Did, did I see that right? Yeah. I, I, I think he, yeah, I, I think he did see it right. I think one of the things that Dick really benefited from was not being an emerging coach educator in, in the, in the time of technology as we know it now, of course, you know, so Steve's absolutely right. I mean, he would write every single session out again. So even if he did it on two consecutive days, he'd rewrite it to make sure that he understood it. Uh, and that gave him an opportunity to know things inside out. You know, we're in the copy and, copy and paste era now where people can just nick things left, right and center. I'm not saying that's always bad, but Dick, Dick didn't do that. He always wrote, he always rewrote things and rethought things through based on what he had in front of him. And also based on the feedback he'd got in the last 24 hours, if he was going to do it again the next day which is what made him outstanding, I think. I have to tell you guys a story. Uh, one time I interviewed him for this program. Uh, it was uh, in New York City, and he had uh, seen a, a professional basketball game the night before, the New York Knicks. So he came to the interview with Ralph Perez, uh, and they came into the studio. And he, uh, at one point in the interview, he takes out these notes that he was taking during the basketball game. So he was observing things in the basketball game that he thought he could apply, uh, especially on the defensive side, it seemed to uh, maybe a, a new session that he could create. Yeah. I mean, if, if you read the introduction to the anthology, there's a little, there's a note in there about when he had his brain surgery. And as he was coming around from his brain surgery, he was so enamored with the skill set of the surgeon that he started to do uh, an interview with the surgeon. <laughs> And recording notes onto how he developed his expertise because he thought it was transferable, you know, developing expertise. Um, and that's what he was like. He, he never missed an opportunity. And, you know, you'd sit and have conversations with him. And, and he was, even if you didn't have a great, you know, reputation in football, for example, or he always thought that you had something to offer. And he was brilliant at engaging people and, and you know, just drawing information out of people. Um, it was never too big to learn. 
he was offering feedback to the surgeon, wasn't he? That's what he was doing. He was, yeah, basically telling me probably <laughs> this. Not this quite how I'd have done it, but, you know. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> have you thought about this? <laughs> but but what, what a... Uh... What a good message, though, that, that somebody everybody has at least a little something to offer, you know, oh, yeah. and uh, I think that's what we when we go and observe each other, you know, whether it's at the convention or wh whether it's uh, you go you get an opportunity to go into a training session, you know, maybe the way somebody constructs the words, the session could be exactly the way you've done it before, but they say something a little differently. Right. I think that's why he was he loved that, that convention so much, because, you know, he would come across not not every candidate there because there's thousands and thousands of people but he would, he would happily have multiple five-minute conversations with you know a couple of hundred people a day and trying to find out whether there was anything that they had which he could then weave into his tapestry of, of football coaching and he was really good at it really good at it yeah and I think I think he just he focused didn't he on a lot of the things like his football knowledge the actual game of football was exceptional and, and you could question him on anything and he'd have, a, he'd have an opinion or an experience of it but it was the amount of effort and attention he paid to the what people would probably call supplementary things, like you were saying there, the, the use of the words, the, the speed at which he spoke, the, the physical gestures to emphasise points, um, the way he progressed sessions from bit to bit. It was, it was just so logical and so, you know, they say, don't they, if you're really good at something, you can make something very complicated look very, very simple. And he, and he was a master at doing that. He was, he was the ultimate swan, wasn't he, sailing on top of the, on top of the water. Um, yeah. And even if he was paddling underneath, he just made it look so effortless. Well, one of my favorite quotes in regard to Dick, uh, he was an artist and the football pitch was his canvas. Yeah. And when you watched him do like the, the convention is so difficult for coaches, you get an hour. Uh, sometimes you get a quality team, sometimes not. And you're trying to, you know, you're not even sure who, who you're coaching, you know, maybe until that session begins sometimes yet he, uh, he managed to, uh, to, to finish it off. And, and you really, you really felt that his sessions were art. Yeah. I think that, that that comes back to him, his understanding of principles. Steve will probably be the same as me is that he, he understood the, the mechanics of what makes a good session based on, you know, years and years and decades in his case of, of, of practicing the principles of, of what his trade was, you know, and I think lots of people that we come across now, Steve are in a, on the fast lane trying to become good very quickly and dick realized that very early that you know you needed to nail down all those principles time and time again and you needed to understand them and be able to explain them to other people too and he was really good at that that's why he could he could make very complex things look extremely simple because he was an obviously extremely intelligent guy but he knew the principles behind things and he knew how they worked well, we're with uh, Steve Rudder and uh, Jim Hicks. They have helped compile what is the Dick Bait Football Anthology, uh, a collection of uh, Dick's work with, uh, you know, and it's hard not to get glued to these notes, guys. I'm mean, going through this, but you've divided it into five sections, uh, attacking through possession, defending in balance, set plays and technical aspects, support disciplines, and counterattacking. Is there any particular reason why you segmented it like that you said that you really only get maybe five percent of his notes in here um originally we were there were going to be six blocks and then there were different views about how we were going to market it in order to generate the revenues for the charities um and we found that some of the blocks were maybe not as thick as the others so then there was an issue around costing so ultimately we came up with what we thought were five manageable sized chunks of work 
Um, and as you say, the developing possession, there's an awful amount of that. Defending in balance, an awful amount of that as well. Um, so we combine the attacking and defending counter-attacking. Um, so whether you are attacking as a counter-attack or you're defending against a team, you know, counter-attacking on you, and we put that together. And then there was a lot of other little bits in there, stuff away from the actual football field that Dick's got notes on that we thought really needs to go in there, but didn't fit into any particular, you know, tactical category. So we put that in. Um, and then obviously the set play one we've put in with the technical elements as well. So we just thought, we just thought it was it was nice to sort of try and segment it slightly. But to be honest, it, it, you know, it's not too religious in terms of the way it's been segmented. If you find something that crosses categories or genres, then, yeah, no, you, you, then, you know, that's probably. Well, under one section, I mean, and just like you described, preparing for match play, pre-match, first half personal game plan. I mean, these are things you, you just, again, look at the detail. And for this is good. This is for players also, yeah. you know, to, to look at the detail of this. And and Jim, I thought there was so I'm, I'm look I'm trying to scour through as much of a, I can over the last 24 hours. But uh, it, if I would say there's a consistent message in here from him. Show the passer the front foot, pass to space, come off at an angle, adjust your body shape uh, in a change of possession. So he was very, very certain of a way he wanted people to be angled, it seemed. Yeah, I think that, again, this comes back to the, the fundamentals or the principles that, that, that he tried to teach everybody. I mean, we often talk about the, on the, you know, the B license, UEFA B license or the A license or the pro license. We talk about these some of these big concepts that people have got to understand but he also understood himself personally that none of these concepts were ever going to work if, if individual players didn't have some of the skills to deal with the ball, you know, and he was quite passionate about that, about, you know, the ability to strike the ball correctly and the, the ability to receive the ball correctly, to move with it correctly, to head it correctly. And he never lost sight of that. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was in no way was he a football snob. He didn't want to just be obsessed with the higher level stuff about the, you know, the, the, the deep tactical stuff. He could do that, no doubt about it, but if people couldn't strike the ball, he wasn't, it wasn't, you know, above him to say, tell you what, I'm, let me show you how to strike that properly. And he'd go back to the, the fundamentals of how to do it correctly. And I think that's what made him sort of endeared into a lot of people because he, he was happy to work with people that are starting the game as well as finishing the game as, as players. And I, there was another part, uh, the, uh, he was talking about direct football, you know, so, you know, it, it, like I said, the, it covers and it seems like there was a preparation. Maybe England was preparing for a match and and, and there were some notes on uh, preparing for direct football, whether it was who they were playing. I couldn't quite tell, uh, but he told them uh, it, it focuses on the role of the single striker. If you don't like the picture, change it. <laughs> I don't know. I just love that. I love the wording of that, Steve. Uh, I mean, the thing he was really keen about, I mean, Jim was talking about that. Dick was really keen about teaching the game of football to players and teaching the art of coaching to coaches. And, and he was a, you know, he was a staunch believer in the fact that you had to lead the learning. So you have to have clear ideas about what you want and you have to be able to visualise it in your head. You know, you've know, got to be able to have a form a picture in your head of exactly what it is you want your team to do. And he, and he was into the process of doing sessions on you know, how could you educate players to read the game better so that they can have a bigger influence on the game? Um, sort of like pattern recognition stuff. So he was, all, he was in all of that. Um, and he was just brilliant at, at getting to really deep levels of information, but then finding a way of simplifying it so that you right. as a player or you as a coach could grasp it and then follow it. Because, you know, his level of understanding was so high, he had to bring it down for us mortals so that we could sort of like tag along. 
No, and there, there are so many examples of that, you know, and I, I in looking through, I, I, I was uh, really um, intrigued with the amount of detail that he put into holding, uh, training the defensive midfielder or the holding midfielder. I have never seen anybody go in and, and that's your quarterback. That's, you know, maybe the most important player in, in, in some coaches systems. It, it was so detailed. It's brilliant. I, I know I'm going back to that and, and figuring out a few things for my own uh, sixes and defensive midfielders. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, well, that you might've stumbled across a, we'd call it a four, you call it a six, that holding midfield player. Yeah, you might have right. a lot of detail on that, but he'll have had detail about every player, you know, and he, he won't actually have played there himself. I mean, he knew as much about goalkeeping as anybody he can speak to. But he's never played in goal in his life, I would imagine. But he had bothered to study it and he'd bothered to have an opinion on it as well, which is, I think, which people really respected about Dick is that you could have, a, you, could get, you could go and sit down with Wayne Rooney and even, I know he'll have, he'll have engaged Wayne Rooney as a kid, but he could still have a, he could still have a good face-to-face conversation with somebody who became, you know, England's top scorer of all time and have a, have, have a lucid conversation about the technical, tactical detail of playing that position, or even though he's never played it before. So his level of analysis and scrutiny of that position was incredible. Uh, where was Stiff? Uh, sorry about that. Where were the Jim Hicks and Steve uh, Rudder here talking about the Dick Bate and the, uh, the, the thing they helped compile, the Dick Bate football anthology? Hey, guys, if I could ask you a little bit about just acquiring the uh, – how you put it all together and, and where all these notes were. And one thing I noticed uh, in, in one part, there were notes from he, he must have been north of the border. It was uh, at a hotel or something. It was like a Canadian Federation, uh, you know, uh, paper that he was writing one note on. And then it was a FIFA thing. And, and then it was just plain notebook paper. So you could tell you the way you've uh, sorted it, you could kind of tell. But uh, just the compiling of all this, how, how did how did you come about finding everything was it all in his house or was it all over the place um primarily it was all in his house in, in his study um what we had to do really was sift it and for that we had to find six willing volunteers because there was just so much you know volume it was yeah. immense um and we we literally split up what we thought was viable material and divide it between six people um, and everybody wandered off with, I don't know, Jim, was it about three or four dustbin bags full of stuff and some boxes and, yeah. and we did really? dustbin bags, or trash bin bags in England, obviously in America, trash bin. Um, <laughs> and we just filled bag after bag with materials. There was other stuff that we just put straight in the skip things like that. It just kept, maybe he'd been somewhere and had got a, you know, a book of something, but it wasn't his work. So we got rid of that. And then we just divided it up between six people who then set about the process of, going through and, and finding what they thought was, you know, viable content to going anthology. And in, in addition to the content, Jim, it's just, to me, it's almost like a museum of, you know, it's, you know, like when you go to a, some sort of historical society or whatever it might be, and you go in and you see the, uh, the manuscript from 1867 and yeah. it's always, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I kind of got that feeling, you know, having uh, talked to Dick and, and, and seen him before that, you know, you're, you're, you're really getting in on the inside. I think that's that's what makes it so fascinating. And I'm sure Steve will have a comment on that as well. Is that I guess if, if we were looking at somebody who was half Dick's age and they were looking to, 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 to put together something like this, it'd all be electronic, wouldn't it? It'd all be in PowerPoint. It'd all be beautifully done. But the vast majority of the stuff which I think we've got is is it's, it's either handwritten or it's been typed by himself. 
you know, so therefore there's a lot of love and devotion gone into it. And, and the, the bits which bring it alive are the, are the little side notes. If you look through the notes carefully, there's little scrubbings outs on diagrams and, and things that have been added and changed and in slightly different color the next day. And that's what brings it to life. But you're right. It is, it's a treasure trove, isn't it? It's what it is. Steve, what do you think? Oh, I mean, I, I think we said in the anthology, the bit, you know, we felt privileged to have an opportunity to go through the work. Um, and the hardest thing was like using a bit of common sense and overriding your emotions and saying, no, we'll actually get rid of this piece because the chances are look, five files later, you'd see the same document again but with a slightly different drawing. And you say, Oh, I'm sure I've got this one. Then you'd have to go back and check whether you'd kept it or not. Um, but it, it was, I mean, it was a long, long process. It was nearly, I think 18 months to two years for most of the, for the lads based on how much time they could devote to, to going through the materials. Um, and then just trying to pick out those that you knew that could be saved, basically, because obviously you could scan some things and you can't read them. So there's, there's not a lot of value to people. So there was a little bit of that as well. Um, it was a long, long process, but it, it was, like you say, an absolute treasure trove. And, and bear in mind, it is a very, very small percentage of the work that he generated. It just goes to show the levels to which he, you know, that he went to. And I guess we're all fortunate. He has he has very good handwriting. I mean, oh. he, you know, it's very you can you can read it very clearly. You know, there's a couple of points in there where you have to look closely, and but you can sort out uh, just about everything he wrote, which is uh, that's pretty interesting too. And, and I think we wanted to keep them as well in the in the format. I mean, like you say, you get one that's got a Canadian Soccer Association badge on the top, and the next one's a bus ticket from you know Glasgow Central <laughs> bus station because he's he just turned it over and written something on the back that just happened to be a moment of inspiration and he was always doing that you go to a game with him and he suddenly out of his top pocket pull a little tiny notepad and a pen the notepad was about two inches square and it was so that he could wherever he went he could just make a note and i remember sitting with him once and he said look how that midfield player is receiving the ball and i'm, I'm looking and I'm, i can't see anything different you know and dick's making notes and little diagrams about how his body shapes on a slightly different turn and position and he's oh it was amazing yeah, that's what he came in with into the studio with after the New York Knickerbockers game, the <laughs> basketball game. But Jim, how much, how how much of what he created in, in 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 terms of sessions was was from just as Steve described from observing, from watching games. So he watches a game, and then the next thing you know, he's got a session on how to be better organized at the back or whatever. Pretty much all of it, I think. And um, again, he couldn't shortcut much of that. You know, I, I guess the, the bulk of Dick's work w was done in, in an era where, you know, if he wanted to watch a game, he'd have to go to the game live and sit there and take the notes like a street Steve has just described. Or he would get a videotape, which and you we all know that videotape is not like it is now, you know, on a beta max or something like that and run it a number of times in stopping it and going back again and have a look at it. And he didn't initially have any video editing skills himself at all. I think he got them later on. But he got people to do videotapes for him and he would just watch it and watch it and watch it and then try and decipher it and then make his notes from there. So it was a it was a proper labor of love. It, it cannot have been easy to do, but that's what made him. I think that's what set him apart from other people. He was quite sort of fastidious about it. He, he wasn't going to do it half heartedly. He was going to either do it brilliantly or he wasn't going to do it at all. Well, guys, this is uh, something I, I, I can't recommend more highly, and I don't want to intimidate coaches, 3,355 pages, but it's just, you just have to, you have to look at each section, and I, uh, I can assure anyone listening that's a coach that it, it will assist you in thinking a little bit more clearly about uh, certain aspects of the game. Uh, Steve Rudder, Jim Hicks, I, I mean, this is, I guess I'll close with this, because in his notes, he quoted Shakespeare at, at one point, 
when emphasizing uh, that uh, you don't want to risk losing in order to win. So the quote is, our doubts are, uh, let me do this again. The quote is, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. So uh, like you said, it's not just about all the different things he constructed, but he thought outside of, uh, outside of that and uh, looked at the, the beyond the physical, I guess I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, let me uh, let everyone know that this uh, visit dickbaitanthology.org to obtain your copy. All proceeds contributed to the Giles Trust for Brain Tumor Research, the uh, Dick Bait Football Anthology. Steve Rudder, Jim Hicks, thank you both so much. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to be face to face sometime. Thank you. Thanks, Glenn. Pleasure. Cheers. Great talk.